You, if you can prove that you've been in the United States for six months over three years, the substantial presence test, no FERP to withholding. That no said, matter the sales price. No matter the sales price. All right, todaysrealtalk.com, 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 FERPTA. Now, that term might sound funny, but it's not a joke in any way, shape, or form. If you are buying or selling real estate, it is an important concept to know, and we're going to find out why today. I've got Mr. Richard Kahn all the way from sunny Florida with us here on today's Real Talk, and he is here to educate us on FERPTA. Mr. Khan, how are you, sir? I'm very, uh, very well, Justin. Thank you very much for having me on your show. No problem whatsoever. Uh, you are, am I allowed to call you an expert, Richard? Is that okay? Um, I, I am a testifying expert and can, uh, I've qualified and deserve that that title thanks well you can testify today here today sir on today's real talk because what we want to know we want to know about FERPTA we want to know the history we want to know when it applies when it doesn't apply and the things we need to look out for but let's I keep saying the word but Richard what is FERPTA well FERPTA are the initials of the uh, of the law of the Congressional Act the foreign investment in real property Tax Act, FERPTA. It was created by Congress in 1980 briefly to uh, address the fact that foreigners were selling properties in the United States that they owned and in, in most cases not paying taxes, not paying capital gains and not declaring the sales. So in 1980, the uh, con Congress passed the act but it fled, it, uh, it moved around and didn't have teeth until 1984 when the Debt Reduction Act uh, was passed and then it became mandatory, 10%. And in 2015, the PATH Act uh, enacted by uh, Obama changed that to 10 and 15% and uh, made some additional changes like appointed certain people like myself who qualify as certified um, authentication agents by the IRS so that foreigners didn't have to send in their original passports in order to uh, apply for a refund. A lot to uh, delve into there. So let's start back with the 1980s. When you say that this wasn't mandatory, I guess who then was actually doing it? Who was following the withholding process if it's not mandatory from, from what you recall from the 80s? Well, the, the closing agents were the ones that were uh, really initially uh, sought after to facilitate that, but it's always uh, been the buyers. So the law requires a buyer in a situation of purchasing real estate from a foreign national to withhold. And they must, by regulation, withhold. And if you're using any type of title agency that uh, is large, and most of them are, and any attorney, 
they'll, they're going to know about that usually, but in many cases they don't. And so there's a lot of instances where buyers don't know the law, don't withhold, and then the IRS comes after them with the standard penalty. The standard penalty, if you do not withhold or, or withhold improperly, is 5% per month for a maximum of five months plus interest and penalties. And they can add fraud and some other penalties around. So if you have $100,000 withholding, say 10% of a million would be $100,000 withholding, and you don't withhold as a buyer, uh, you're going to get uh, $100,000 withholding amount plus 25% penalty. So you, right off the bat, you owe the IRS $125,000 in that case. As the buyer. And then the that's buyer. who the penalty is with, is with the buyer. Because I guess, I guess common sense-wise, that makes sense. Because a seller who's foreign and who is going to pay a tax, you can't really rely on them to notify and withhold those funds themselves. So the duty becomes on the buyer. Is that the logical reasoning behind that? Well, that's the prevalent reasoning behind anyone. Let's say you own stocks or bonds or, or bank or income or, or uh, uh, you know, W-2s, 1099s. Uh, anytime you're involved with a foreign national, so that's somebody that uh, is not a U.S. citizen, does not have a green card, doesn't meet the substantial presence test of being in the United States for a certain period of time over the last uh, uh, recent, recently, then the, the party paying them is the one who's responsible to withhold. And that creates a situation where the seller or the recipient of the money has to deal with the IRS. The IRS wants their uh, taxes. Right. And when we get to 1984, you said it was, it was under Reagan that the Debt Reduction Act came to be. Is that correct? If I'm thinking. As it, I recall, it was uh, 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 Reagan, my ex-boss, Don Reagan, CEO of Merrill Lynch and Reagan. They used to call him Reagan and Reagan. <laughs> and uh, uh, Don Reagan, he was very interested in that. He was also very interested in separating the commercial banks and the and the investment banks, which uh, after his death, they did and it instituted another pro uh, a problem, which was the mortgage-backed securities that failed in the subsequent uh, crash of uh, financial markets and things like that in 19, uh, 2007, 2008. So from for, so when the Debt Reduction Act came to be, what was the purpose of that? The name of that act, right, leads me to believe that the federal government was fi trying to find ways to lower the deficit and get rid of debt. So they chose the route of enforcing a tax on those who are not legal residents of the United States because there was no other way to track taxable income. Is that was that the logic behind that as well? Well, the Debt Reduction Act was an act that was very comprehensive, but in the aspect of FERPTA, a lot of people were selling properties and avoiding paying their capital gains, which is long-term, if you hold it for a year or more, and or short-term capital gains. So they were uh, making money and not paying taxes. Yeah. Why do you think... Um 
what was the thought process behind 10% originally? And then fast forward to, you mentioned Obama's time of 10 or 2015. 15. Yeah, 2015. Why 10 and 15% was the reasoning behind that? Or was that just the magic number they pulled out of a hat? Well, initially they felt that a 10% withholding would be more than sufficient to pay any um, outstanding taxes that might be due uh, D-U-E, due and owing in the transaction. Later on, because of profits and uh, more earnings, they felt that 15% would be more in line with uh, a withholding sufficient enough to cover what was owed to the IRS at the time of sale. FERPTA's, FERPTA's deducted at the closing. So when they disperse the proceed the proceeds, uh, that's when they disperse further, and you you have a couple of choices. Uh, you're not asking that question, but you have a couple of choices on that disbursement. You can either disperse at the closing, meaning remit, remit to the IRS that amount uh, within 20 days of the closing without suffering penalties. Or if you qualify and the transaction qualifies, <clears throat> you can apply to the IRS for withholding certificate. In other words, present your financial uh, tax case specifically to the transaction to the IRS in writing and have them respond within 90 days or so, um, not including COVID delays recently, but sure. uh, and designate how much to release to the seller, if any, and how much to remit to the IRS, if any. And then you have 20 days from the date of that response letter to remit whatever it is, if anything, to the IRS. So you're talking about the process now. So I'm also a real estate closing attorney here in North Carolina. And we've, we have worked together on a business, our full disclosure for the listeners, we have worked together on a business to business level. And so what you're talking about is, is that I'm the closing attorney. I get to the point of preparing the final closing disclosure or HUD one. And when you say 10% or 15%, we're talking gross sales price. We're not talking about net proceeds. We are talking about based on the gross sales price. So I can either just send the number in that amount into the IRS with the particular corresponding forms. And I don't know those form numbers off the top of my head. I apologize about that. Um, or someone like you can step in and get a withholding certificate, if I'm understanding this correctly, and we would hold the funds for up to approximately 90 days, let's say, because that's the general response time from the IRS, which then you would instruct us the amount to actually send in, which am I safe to assume that a majority of the time that figure is less than the full percentage of withholding based on the standard amount? The, uh, the 90 days is stipulated, uh, by the IRS, um, in terms of a, of a respond by time. And the IRS would be the one that would um, respond in writing. Uh, they'll respond to the, uh, to the party based upon the, the, the information in the forms. So it, it would often be, be myself 
because you want and and the settlement agent and they will tell the buyer how much to release there's a there's a risk involved in the transaction when settlement agents and realtors get involved because the party that is directly responsible for the withholding technically speaking is the buyer but practically speaking the buyer off, often delegates that responsibility uh, to closing agents uh, sometimes there's buyer and seller and so, or sometimes there's just one who actually facilitate the transaction because they're the ones who cut the check right but the buyer is the one who's supposed to be filling out the forms are the 8288 which is a form that uh, gives information about the buyer the date of the transaction the amount of the transaction the withholding amount whether it's 10 percent or 15 percent if it's 10 percent, you have to attach an affidavit and some explanation as as to why uh, the number of sellers that are involved in there and the number of 8288A copy A's and B's, which are like little W-2 size documents that uh, allow uh, ones for the IRS, ones for the buyer to be uh, to be kept in the folder, and ones for the seller that the IRS stamps and sends back, and that's proof that the IRS received that money. But it's problematic uh, as well as facilitating uh, the ease of the transaction because if a seller does not have an ITIN or social security number, which is very often the case, then you have a buyer with a social security number or an FEIN, but you, 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 you don't have a seller FEIN or social security or uh, ITIN, which is an individual tax identification number. And so, Where's that money going? Well, it's going into the general coffers over there at the IRS. And, and what happens is if you don't have somebody uh, like myself or an experienced party getting involved in there at the withholding and remittance stage of the closing, very often the seller winds up really suffering because they send the money. Very often the cases they send the money, but they don't really have enough identification of parties stipulated with that remittance to the IRS to fully clearly and easily identify the seller to the IRS. So the seller now who's got, let's say in a hundred, in a million dollar transaction, it could be a hundred or $150,000 withholding. You have them out that money during a time where they have to try and get that money identified to that seller. So it's really important for a seller to have proper representation, in my opinion, because it's very difficult to get your money if you're not being critically fully identified to the party you're, who's, who's holding your money. I put the IRS in a similar category with another uh, government um, um, aspect, and that's the DMV. And it's not the people who work there that are the problem. It's the systems that are in place. And so for some people, the amount of time that they would spend with even like you're saying, no guarantee that everything will get sorted out. It's hard for me to see a reason why they wouldn't 
hire a professional such as yourself to help facilitate the situation. Uh, but, you know, in the times of selling a house, I've had multiple transactions where people didn't even know. Like foreign people who bought it didn't, you know, they say, oh, I wasn't told I was going to have to pay a tax when I sold. And, and I believe that, right? Like how many people are really asking that question? Um, how many people, um, because on a buyer's side of a transaction, especially if it's cash, let's say, I'm not asking for their social security number. I'm not asking for their, you know, their resident status or anything like that in a transaction. Is it true that in the United States, anybody in the world can buy property here? I mean, is there any, is there anything to say you can't buy real estate in the United States? <clears throat> to my, to my knowledge, anybody can buy real estate in the United States, whether or not a bank is going to give them financing or whether or not, you know, Correct. certain sellers may have certain quirks or this, that, and the other aside to the fact, but yes, you can come in and you can buy uh, real estate or real property. Real estate is just part of the FERPTA. So FERPTA is ECI, which is effectively connected income to real estate. And it's FDAP, it's a fixed, disposable, annualized type of income as well. So it's a it's a very broad swath of the of the brush, but we're pretty much talking about real estate right now. But if you're a foreign national and you have investments in the United States, you know, you have stock accounts or this, that, or the other, or you own shares or, or companies, whatever, you are experiencing FERPTA as well. They're withholding that FERPTA and remitting it to the IRS as well. When you, when you calculate out what the number will be, right, for someone, do you in essence become, and I want to say their accountant, right, because I, I doubt you make full representation of all their accountings, but you look at, I'm going to guess, the price they purchased the home for, compare it to any potential gain on the property, how long they live there, whether it was, is whether it was their primary for two years out of the past five, is that relative to, to the analysis? It is. Okay, so then you report the numbers as if it was a legal resident of the United States. And is it that same tax amount that comes out for foreign people as normal legal residents of the United States? Or is the calculation different? You know, that's a, that's a great uh, question. Uh, I am uh, an accountant and I am an, uh, uh, an A uh, automatic uh, annual tax season filing program uh, accountant, but I use CPA firms that does the accounting work. It's always a, a much better uh, plan to do that. And so I mostly get into the area of being the tax advisory service. Um, but FERPTA has several of the aspects of it which are complex and the one of course that you're speaking about is the most important to the seller so the most important to the buyer which we had just been speaking about was the obligation to uh, timely withhold and remit then you have the interim uh obligation and job, which is a very big job, of if the foreign seller does not have a social security number from having worked here before or traveled here or been a student before and doesn't have an individual taxpayer identification number, then they have to apply for one. 
And you can't just apply for that ITIN without a reason. So you have to submit to the Internal Revenue Service the justification of uh, obtaining that ITIN. And of course, it's going to be the real estate closing. And you're going to provide proof of that in uh, in evidence of documentary evidence uh, as justification for the issuance. And then once they have a tax number, or if they did have a tax number, now the issue becomes, well, taxation and um, how much am I going to get as a refund? How much am I going to owe? What's the overall picture? Uh, and that's, a, you know, that's hitting, hitting the, the nail right on the head for, for sellers, uh, knowledgeably so as you, as you raise that issue. The, uh, the consideration in an investment scenario is that the foreigner starts off at about 30% taxation. Wow. And now if you've been renting property uh, and very often that's the case. And very often the, uh, the seller, which, which I have, I have here, here's just, just happens to be today. These are, these are tax returns. I don't know if you could see it, but it's a very thick package. Yeah. It represents transaction plus six years of reporting rental income that was received, but not declared annually to the internal revenue service by the foreigner. So if you've had income over the years, um, you're going to owe taxes on that income. If you have an investment property and you have not depreciated it, which is a little bit of a complex issue, yeah. then the IRS stipulates that they will depreciate the property. How does depreciation affect the transaction? It's, it's a little complex. I don't know if you want me to touch on that, but it, it can be measurable. Is it the measurable um, over the eight? Is that 18 and a half years? Am I right on that number? What's the, what's the number? Whatever the depreciation, length of depreciation is not really the issue. The issue, okay. and it's a very good point, but they vary depending upon components and times and right. what it is. These are all stipulated. But the issue of depreciation, which affects everybody uh, that's a taxpayer, is that when you depreciate a lawfully depreciate an item off your tax return, you take that item off the top of your taxes. Right. So if you depreciate $1,000, it comes $1,000 off your income. Mm -hmm. So if you had a $100,000 income, your income is 99000 when you sell that property and you do what's called recapture that depreciation, you're going to add in that $1,000 to your income on the year of sale. And the depreciation may not come with cash. It may be a phantom income. It may be a, an addition to income, but without the cash to pay taxes. In any event, that's an aspect that gets taken into consideration. There are the, the actual uh, tax uh, calculations for real estate transaction can be simple. You know, I bought it this that year. You know, I sold it this year. I paid this amount of taxes. I paid this amount of deductible expenses. I paid real estate commissions and uh, closing agent fees. And I bought it for uh, a million. And uh, or I, I bought it for 800000 I sold it for a million. I have a $200,000 capital gain. 
there are things that get added to the eight hundred thousand dollar basis, which may be taxes that I paid, and uh, you know some improvements to the property I can prove with cancel receipts, not just invoices, et cetera. So let's say I have a adjusted cost basis of $900,000. Then I have a $100,000 capital gain. If it's over 12 months, it's a long-term capital gain. If it's under 12 months, it's an ordinary income gain. And so if you're a rental uh, investment situation, that tax could be $30,000 on that. If you're a residential, more, you know, like a resident and a user, and I've been living there, and it could be $20,000. See, it's interesting because people ask me all the time, because I'll go through with them, you know, a 1099 exemption form, right? For for someone selling a house, if it's, I'll do just generally speaking, we take the practice of if it's under 500,000, we'll go through the form. Um, you know, if, you know, has it been your primary residence for two years of the past five years? Um, have you sold another primary residence in the past two years on your tax returns? Have you ever claimed a portion of the property for business purposes, at home office deduction, something like that? Um, the, the number four question on the exemption form gets me sometimes because it's about the gain difference, right? Compared to, to what they bought it for and what they're selling for. Generally, I'll say, Hey, you know, the sales price is less than 500,000. So the likelihood of you gaining more than 500,000, I think is slim to none there. I don't even know how that math would really work. And then did you acquire the property by a 1031 exchange, right? So walking through those type of questions, I end up getting the follow-up from the seller of, well, hey, am I going to actually end up paying any tax on this, right? I get that all the time. And I tell people, Richard, I'm very honest with them. I say, let me tell you, you don't want me giving you tax advice. That's not what I do. I will end up getting you in more trouble with the IRS than you would yourself probably going through TurboTax or calling someone like Richard, obviously, to take care of it. Um, so I, I guess what, it all depends, right? Like at the end of the day, it just depends on all of the things that you've done with the house, how much you bought it for. There's no one set answer in this process. Am I getting that correct? That is very correct. And the issue is really a very serious one because anybody, you know, with 45 or so plus years, including 10 years working uh, with the IRS as a consultant. And the one thing you don't want to do is lie or cheat or misrepresent or do anything with, with the IRS. You're going to have to owe a certain amount of tax and you should be able to take all your maximum lawful deductions. The IRS wants you to do that. They want you to get everything that you, uh, deserve in terms of deductions and adjust your basis. But nowadays, when everything's computerized, one of the last things you want to do is be coming over from a foreign country, you know, the Middle East, China, Asia, wherever, and uh, be stopped uh, in customs because you are uh, delinquent or haven't paid or misrepresented, uh, you know, to the taxing authorities. As I just came back this weekend from visiting my daughter uh, in in Pennsylvania. She's an MD up there. And uh, we went to the Eastern State Penitentiary. And it, uh, uh, who was that uh, tremendously notorious uh, prisoner uh, in in the the days of bootlegging and uh, such that- Al Capone? uh, Al Capone. He, who got him? The IRS. So, you know, you don't want to mess with the IRS. And the one thing that we don't do is mess with the IRS. And this is why 
I use a long time, very uh, uh, upstanding and, and yeah. well-regarded tax professionals and, and CPAs and, and such to do the taxes. You pay a little bit more, but you, you, re, you don't want to be going to H and R. I don't, you don't want to be going to, to somebody who holds them out to be a tax pro uh, when in reality they're not. However, that said, for the foreign national, the process of actually getting to the refund filing is a can be a long and very difficult path. And then you have to take into consideration that everybody is supposed to file by e-file, right? Electronically mm -hmm. filing. So for, the, for last year's taxes, you would wait sometime in February of the next year whenever they designate it and they open it and you e-file, you electronically file your taxes. That's the way the IRS wants you to do it. But with foreign nationals in FERPTA, if you obtain an ITIN, the year you obtain the ITIN, so let's say you sell the property in uh, any time during this year, you get your closing statements, you prove it, and then you're going to get your ITIN. If you get your ITIN in the, in the year of Whatever year you get your ITIN, you are not allowed to e-file in that year. You have to paper file. Mm -hmm. So paper file, anything paper file, let's say this past year or the year before when the IRS was closed for six to nine months and they're collecting, thousands, I don't know, maybe thousands of bins of paperwork to be caught up on. Well, that's its own dilemma by definition, just as it is being paper filing. So you have the paper file scenario. We mentioned the withholding certificate, that's paper filing. So they have to respond and you know there could be delays, but with your tax filings, if you're going to paper tax file, then you may be waiting three months or four months to be getting a response from the IRS with a refund, or in most cases, demands. If you don't use a professional, let's say like myself or others, and uh, you might think that you have given the IRS enough information upon which they can an, uh, assign an agent and an agent could determine in hard evidence that's provable, uh, uh, let's say uh, state, county tax records or things like that, uh, they may just now start to make inquiry to you for uh, uh, prove this, prove that, show me this, show me that, give me some proof. So then they mail that to you and then you have to send it back. And you're looking at these 60 day round robins. They can add a lot of time, especially to a foreign national uh, tax refund request. I, I think you're, you're bringing up um, a concept that is gonna give a lot of real estate brokers an opportunity because I think the art of really analyzing and having a level of competency necessary to adequately represent a client in selling a home would include the wherewithal to ask, are you a legal resident of the United States? I don't think that that's a bad question to ask because it's going to come up, right? Like if you close with a closing attorney on any on, on market transaction, if they're a 
halfway decent closing attorney or settlement shop, they're going to know to ask that question. So, um, and if they don't, you should find a new one to use is what it's sounding like to me. And I would give that advice even before our conversation, but for a listing broker, before they take that listing, it seems prudent to ask that question because in actuality, they could end up as the hero for their client, what's the time frame that you would say reasonably for, let's say, someone about to sell a house is 90 days? Is that is that enough? If I came to you 90 days in advance to the closing of my property, if I'm a non-legal resident of the United States and I've got to go through the FERPTA process, is that enough time for me to contact you and get that process started to make either the withholding certificate possible in a reasonable amount of time or what's the best course of action and timing that I should give to, to have the best shot at this? You know, the topic you, you uh, raise right now, uh, uh, Justin, is extremely beneficial to your uh, real estate listeners, uh, brokers and uh, principal brokers. Of course, I was a principal broker of real estate and lending for many, many years. Um, extremely important. The fact of the matter is, and I've spoken on it in front of the real estate uh, uh associations is that FERPTA is a paragraph or addressed in the contract. So if you're properly filling out the contract, you are going to learn about FERPTA at that time. Unfortunately, many, many realtors are not trained properly to handle foreign national sellers. And therefore, you've got many, many situations where a seller, it's uh, introduced to the withholding kind of like a surprise at the last minute. And the, uh, I think that what's behind that is, is that a lot of the realtors, especially the less trained ones, uh, maybe not brokers, but realtor associate, associates, are afraid to uh, you know, throw a, a, a real wrench into the transaction. No, I'm not going to have 10 or 15% of the sale amount set aside and sent to the IRS. I have a mortgage. I'm going to be negative on the property. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Maybe there's some things I can do to uh, lie or cheat without calling that uh, and uh, uh, swear out that somebody's going to use it as a, a, a primary residence, for example. That's a whole group of uh, a few different exceptions uh, that may apply. You had mentioned that uh, earlier. But in terms of timing, very often I am brought into the transaction late, meaning yeah. within a week of the closing. And it's the seller because they have a knowledgeable realtor, broker, or somebody or closing agent like yourself that's saying, hey, listen, don't let your seller get involved in this thing without getting some pro help. It's not expensive. You just have to have the real deal, so to speak, to uh, advise you. Because otherwise, this seller who gave you the listing for which you're making your money, and bad news travels a lot faster than good news, can really kill your reputation within their sphere of influence. Because when a realtor mishandles a seller's interests by not properly addressing the FERPTA aspect, that, that 
seller is never going to recommend that real estate agent or that real estate company at all going forward. And in many cases, they or the people that they know in their, in their circles own a lot of real estate. Uh, I've made a business out of referrals. I don't advertise. Yeah. Decades. So a realtor who doesn't properly represent the seller in FERPTA uh, gets a little timid or doesn't know about or whatever is really doing themselves a tremendous disservice. On the other hand, if you really do know about FERPTA and you have like you, like you do the uh, proper uh, proven vendors to handle everything responsibly and make a rather difficult complex process go smoothly, then that is a tremendous feather in your cap or tool in your toolbox for your realtors and your and your brokers and especially for your title company oh, yeah. a title company who's a pro title company is 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 a diamond very 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 important to have like yours like your title company because the other ones they'd botch it like you wouldn't believe the withholding isn't done right the buyer gets the, uh, a levy, a levy against their property, right? So you buy a property and you owe, you're supposed to withhold $100,000, you don't. Three months later, you get a levy for $125,000 and climbing with penalties and interest against your property. You can't sell it. You can, and, and then now the buyer goes to the, uh, to the settlement agent, they, they want to sue them. They want, you know, do you have errors and omissions? And it becomes a nightmare. It doesn't affect the ability of the seller, the foreign seller to collect their refund. It just makes it much more difficult. I've got a case right here in front of me, right here in front of me where uh, that exact thing happened. Buyer didn't do it properly. Title agent didn't do it properly. Uh, uh, really messed up the documentation. I mean, it seems so simple just to fill out these forms and send it in like a no-brainer. But yet, when they don't know how to do it, they can make errors. And even if it's just one little spelling error, the IRS kicks it back. Why? Because they've got your money. You know, they, got, they have your 50, your 30, your 100. I've had it in the cases, they 600 million, right? In Cal certain places you sell a property, it could be $10 million. Uh, $10 million, you got a million and a half dollar uh, uh, FERPTA withholding. So uh, they've got your money and they're not gonna make it easy for you to get it back. No, because, and I think a lot of brokers are going to think I'm crazy for, for going through this hypothetical scenario. So it's in the contract about FERPTA here in North Carolina. The standard realtor contract has the section. All states. Yeah. So for here in particular, a material fact in North Carolina is considered under law, the ability of the party to complete the transaction. So a listing agent who did not do the proper due diligence of their own client's ability to sell the property, right? Because let's say they're underwater if you include the FERPTA withholding. At that point, you're opening yourself up as a real estate broker in North Carolina to a commission complaint for 
potentially negligent misrepresentation and non-disclosure of a material fact. Maybe not intentional because you didn't have the competency, which is a whole nother issue, but to negligently not even ask the question, right, or find out. So there's a plethora of issues there. Well, absolutely. That's experience talking. Having uh, been having, principal having, broker having, of real estate and principal broker of mortgage finance and lending, it's up to the principal broker to train their loan officers and their realtors to the letter of the law. And not just to avoid the complaints that go on with your local association or ethics wise, but you know, in terms of errors and omissions, that also applies to uh, attorneys because a lot of states, New York and other states that they require you to have separate uh, representation on both sides. So the buyer has a separate set of representatives and the seller has a separate, uh, separate set of representatives. And so in cases like that, when you get up close abutting a real estate transaction, and, and this is like a ta-da, like ta-da uh, event, um, that's, that's not professional. It causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of often bad feelings on a client that was very difficult to get. And um, FERPTA applies anytime a foreign national sells a real property, a piece of real estate. And that applies as if they're the seller, or that can also apply as if, if, if they're a spouse or a partner or a part owner, or they're tr just quit claiming. Quit claiming is transferring something, you know, without really a sale. It's transferring it without a warranty deed, just over to yourself or to your wife or, or to your, to your uh, you know, your children or whatever. But any transfer of uh, real estate from a foreign seller to any party for any reason is subject uh, to FERPTA. I've got clients, you know, certain real estate companies have divisional uh, a representation like the Asian uh, American Real Estate Association and people who have come across to ask me questions and I've spoken before in, in the past, they just have a tremendous, tremendous need in the United States to learn about FERPTA because when it pops up at the end, it's a horrible nightmare. And the realtors and the people that know about FERPTA can <clears throat> not only win more clients, but they really need to educate themselves. And the principal brokers need to uh, comply with education. And the FERPTA uh, topic is not one that has a high population of attendees at the realtor associations, whether it's the NAR, a National Association of Realtors, or individual state and then county and, and multiple county associations. There's a tremendous need for the information, not just the information, but to be able to come back and ask the questions. I have a transaction that I'm doing. This is it today. This is it tomorrow. This is my deal. Because you wouldn't believe that within this small niche, there is uh, almost an unlimited amount of scenarios. 
I have a piece of land. I sold my mineral right. I, you know, I mean, it just goes from the beginning to the top. Pension funds, everybody's got different rules. Uh, uh, corporations, uh, people are getting the wrong advice about LLCs or whatever. That's why I was approached to do, uh, you know, to do a podcast. Me doing what you're doing will never, ever happen. Uh, not while I'm alive and presumably not when I'm dead. <laughs> but a person with your availability and uh you know everything that you've got going on and you know you wanted to add a little bit of uh uh something that nobody else has got to, to my knowledge i have never heard of of anything like that and it's not important until you realize it is important which means anytime a foreign national person sells a property in the united states or its territories this thing comes up so you, you keep using the term foreign national. So educate me on the lingo, right? Because I think that's where a lot of people get confused. And I use the term um, non-legal resident. Is that the proper term as well? Is that interchangeable or, or, or help educate me so I can use the right terminology with people that come forward with this particular situation? You know, I don't want to say, and I don't know if it's appropriate, but if you go to my website, I've got, and I have taken, and I've made it all myself using one of those, uh, you know, website. And, and I have, you know, client frequently asked questions and areas on FERPTA and services and whatever. And it's really very practical. It's a practical place where you could go to answer your questions. But so a client uh, 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 is not a... Uh, if you don't have a green card and you will have not spent at least six months of each year over the past uh, three years, uh, or at least six months over the past three years, the substantial presence test, and you're not a US domestic corporation or a partnership, uh, and the real estate transaction has had to have taken place within three years, because if it has taken place after three years, well, the statute of limitation runs and the IRS keeps you withholding. You can't file for it back. Ooh, Ooh ouch. So the, so the terminology of saying, and you can give the website address, by the way, we'll plug it for sure. What is the best, what's the website address? Well, it's FIRPTA, F-I-R-P-T-A, usually in all block capitals, and then refunds, plural, in small letters. And so, so you may see me looking over to the right. I went, I went to client facts and, you know, what is a foreign seller? It's, you know, there's the, the, the topics on the website, you know, how do you get your money? The types of cases that are uh, included in the topic. What is a non-resident alien? Uh, how about foreign corporations? Uh, what about pending real estate transactions? What about already closed transactions? You know, types of real estate that, are included uh, geography and locales and 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 uh, what happens when you have foreclosures and deed and lose or or short sales and what happens if you have income from other than real estate or uh you know what about that depreciation recapture that can really knock you for a loop uh what about what about visas and and uh, certified passports. I mean, there's just so many topics in FERPTA that come to play. And you think, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. But when you consider that it's most often 15% of the total selling price 
and you got every million dollars is a hundred fifty thousand you take and send to the IRS. That's a lot of money. It's often it's often a lot mm -hmm. of even if it's thirty forty thousand. That's not that's not uh, loose pocket change. No, it's it's definitely not because uh, real estate in general being the uh, most high valued asset that most people ever own or sell in their life. So if you're thinking about somebody's nest egg and even for a foreign national that the fact that this is where their time and where their investment has gone it is the largest asset for most people that will ever have in their life. So hypothetical, hypothetical with me here for a minute. So somebody with a green card in the United States, is there a situation where no FERPTA? What about? No FERPTA withholding. You, if you can prove that you've been in the United States for six months over three years, the substantial presence test, no FERPTA withholding. That's no matter the sales price no matter the sales price. That said, it's gonna be up wow. to the closing agent and the closing agents are normally represented by a closing attorney and they're gonna make a decision and they have an underwriter who's doing the title work and they're all gonna make a decision and they may just decide, hey, you know what? Withhold or do a withholding certificate, get the IRS to tell us what to do. We're not taking the risk. Because they, if once you've been burnt a few times for these numbers, you get smart pretty quick. So what is the, what's the exception of that involves a certain sales price? I believe it's 300,000 or is it 350,000? You have the exception. It's a, it's a one, it's a $1 million line over a million. It's always 15%. On the million dollar line, you have zero to 300,000. And then you have 300,000 to 1 million. You have those two uh, partitions, so to speak. In the first partition, if the buyer will fill out an affidavit, swear out a buyer's aff occupancy affidavit that they will occupy one half a year or six months within each of the first two years, that could be two months and then, you know, a month and well, in total, then they can the seller, the withholding is 10%. So if it's under 300,000 and it's, and excuse me, if it's under 300,000 and the, uh, the buyer is a, an, an occupant of uh, six months a year for each of the first two years, there's no FERPTA withholding. So I misspoke just now. I said, I said that there were, there's no, FERPTA withholding. Zero to 300, if you can give a buyer's occupancy statement and you swear out uh, and notarize that you will occupy within uh, each of the first two years, uh, half of a year, then there's no FERPTA withholding. The title company doesn't withhold. You have to get and keep the affidavit, which you should do in some background information. Uh, it's, it's very nominally priced to do something to prove it. You put it in the file and you don't withhold. If you are not that primary occupancy type of individual, then from zero to 300 and from 300 to a million, the withholding is 10%, not 15%. So if you're going to buy that property and you're going to occupy for six months of each of the first two years, the withholding up to a million 
from 300 to a million is 10% and not 15%. Otherwise, it's 15% from beginning all the way up. So if it's under a million dollars and the buyer is going to occupy the property, you said at least was is six months out of two years or three years? I apologize. Six months per year for each of the first two years. Six months? It's a buyer. Six months. So you could technically sell it if you occupied six months and then in that first year, and then you occupied the first six months because that question comes up. Uh, you know, can I sell my property and meet the buyer occupancy uh, in, in 18 months? <laughs> Sometimes mm -hmm. that's a question buyers and buyers realtors often ask. How long does my buyer have to have possession of that property before they can turn around and resell it? Right. No, absolutely. And so then the certificate being, again, the the almost risk tolerance level of the settlement agent, what are they willing to do in that scenario? Now, I think it's pretty clear with that exception um, that, that as long as it's a notarized affidavit signed on behalf of the buyer. Now, as far as visas. Before you leave that topic, yeah. it better be absolutely. very specific to the statutory requirements of information within that certificate. Pay somebody a couple of hundred bucks to make sure that that thing's done right and that all of the background information to prove it has been uh, uh, gathered and is in support of that. Don't just, you know, believe somebody because the title company has responsibility. They're not allowed to just believe what somebody tells them. I believe the IRS code... The IRS code mentions settlement agents' duty of withholding as representatives of the buyers, if I believe, if I understand that Absolutely. correctly. Absolutely. If you and if you go to my website, uh, since you're editing, and, and uh, you'll 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 see those very very specific. It's called, uh, you know, what is the obligation and risk of the of the settlement? It's called liabilities of buyers, sellers, and agents under the uh, FERPTA category. And it's yeah. very specific about and, and there. Let's talk about um, some visa scenarios. Are there countries that even if the person has a visa, that FERPTA withholding must still take place? There are certain treaties between countries that may um, uh, say you, you are exempt. So certain companies, certain countries and have treaties with the United States that exempt certain classes and certain, uh, uh, and so you should always check the current treaties and you should really never, uh, ex uh, uh, never be giving any advice about what one treaty, you know, a treaty can change from one minute to the next. So you, you should always check treaties and treatises. Well, and the thought being, why why would if a U.S. if a legal resident of the United States has to pay tax based on the particular financial scenario, I, I think it's safe to assume that you a foreign national would also have to pay, and that's ultimately what it's coming down to is try to match what that gain really is, and that that's what it's about. You know, FERPTA, that's a very good point because FERPTA really addresses, mostly speaking, if I was to say in general, individuals who are foreign sellers because corporations and pensions and other large owners of 
of properties, these people are not looking to, I want to say, cheat the IRS. You know, they're not looking to do that. They use big accounting firms. Everything's above board. They're open about their profits. They're open about their losses. And they're not trying to do anything to bring the power uh uh, prosecutorial power of the Internal Revenue Service down on them. It's more designed for the individual foreign sellers. And, you know, y you would be surprised how often, almost on a daily basis, or certainly on a weekly basis, you get sellers that just, how can they get away with not having that withholding? Yeah. That's not something we have e ever bought into, ever. What when is it? When is it 15%? Because you mentioned 10 and now under at in 2015, it changed to the potential of 15%. When would 15% apply? It's always 15% unless the other, unless the other <coughs> few ex limited exceptions apply. If, and, and in my website, you can uh, go to FERPTA and under FERPTA, the fourth one down says FERPTA withholding exemptions. And so you have the uh, buyers with the property sales under 300 or less, and they're going to be there 50% of the time within each of the first two years. You got the property uh, where the buyer's property is between $300,001 up to and including a million where the buyer's an individual who certifies to that occupancy of 50% or more of time in each of the two years following the closing. In that case, the withholding is 10%. And at all other times, it's 15%. Unless you have a green card. So you're a resident, right? If you're a green card, you're a resident, you're a card carrying resident for US federal tax purposes. So if you're a lawful permanent resident of the United States, if, if you've been given that that privilege according to the immigration laws or uh, residing permanently in the United States as an immigrant. And you generally have the status of a U.S. citizenship and the uh, immigration services, USCIS, issued you uh, an alien registration card, right? The uh, I-551, the green card. You have a green card? No FERP uh, I I guess... Yeah, and, and, and I, I, I can't help because I'm. I'll be honest with you, Richard. I'm. I like North Carolina. One a big reason why I like North Carolina is I can be a registered unaffiliated, right, from a political party perspective. But a lot of this is politics. I'm going to guess. I, I'm going to guess a lot of this has to do with politics. You mentioned that it was, and, and again, I, I don't want to dive into picking one side over another. Like I said, I, I've, I vote the person, not the party. That's just my general rule on any issue. I go down individually per. I find it surprising with particular rhetoric that was used um, in 2008 through 2016 that under Obama's administration that the potential 15% tax was increased. Do you have any thoughts on that by chance? I don't know if you're a political guy or not, but but you tell me. Um, you know, I'm an American. I believe in the right to vote. Aside from that, I do not believe that any of this has to do with individual uh, partisan party politics. This is this is 
a an IRS Internal Revenue Service tax treasury, U.S. Treasury Department statutes, and and congressional in that in those terms because what's happened was people were making money. People were making money. Yeah. And because they were making money, their withholding was insufficient. And because the party owing the tax was a foreign national and the IRS doesn't go to any country to collect, you know, a couple of hundred thousand or whatever in taxes, they decided to hold more. And uh, there were tremendous uh, 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 profits in real estate in those days prior to the mortgage crisis of uh, 2008, let's say, um, you know, there were just tremendous amounts and, and people, people were uh, not withholding enough. <clears throat> if you're yeah. not withholding enough from the IRS, they will, will order you to hold more. So if you're one of the millions of businessmen, let's say, or 1099 or individual contractors or whatever, who are uh, giving money to the IRS and paying their own share of taxes to be, that's the way, that's the way it works. They'll, they'll withhold your, you know, your exemptions, you know, you go to work at a job. Oh, I want, I have 10 exemptions. Well, in fact, if you start to owe more money to the IRS and you're over, uh, deducting on your exemptions, you you will pay fines and penalties, and 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 the IRS may may step in and and, and give you, uh, you know, slap you around a little bit. I would I would imagine they have that authority. <laughs> oh, they are the ultimate authority. You know, we gave the uh, uh, you know the, you know the U.S. Treasury is is the ultimate big boy, and in this case, they felt that look. So many sales are occurring that we are having shortfalls in the withholding. So you're selling for a million and withholding a hundred thousand and you owe $140,000 in taxes and they can't get the 40,000. So what they did was simply, they said, we don't care. We don't care what your color is or what your race or what your gender or what your country is or what, or whatever. All we care about is that in general, it seems like profits in real estate have grown so much that the withholding of 10% is not sufficient to cover all transactions. They don't want to cover a certain percentage of transactions. They want it to be more than pretty much any case scenario. Well, I think you bring up a good point of the misconception out there. The misconception is that this applies a lot to people from Mexico and South America, right? I think that's the general misconception. But the funny thing is, is you're and, I, you're and my relationship started with a seller client who was from Canada. And that was where the withholding came from was because they were a Canadian citizen and a non-legal resident of the United States. And so it's a very big misconception, I think, out there. Uh, I'm not aware of the misconception, but in reality, the way it kind of works is that, you know, if you're down along that southern border or maybe you're, uh, you, you may be getting South America or Central America. If you're down here in Florida, let's say, you may be getting South Americans. They, 
they come here a lot or Europeans come and they want to be in South, you know, Orlando, this, that, and the other. Uh, you get Canadians are, are coming in, but you're getting a lot of foreigners that are coming in for Europe. I would say Asia is huge. So if you're, you know, Asia is investing in the East, the West Coast, uh, from Alaska, uh, you know, also in Canada, which is not FERPTA, um, um, Washington, Oregon, uh, uh, California. You're getting all kinds of, uh, you get, you're getting people that are coming to work on B-1 visas and they're going to, you know, in Michigan, you are, you know, you, you have a lot of people from uh, Asia, India. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's not, I think it's unlike redlining or the philosophy of where are a certain type of people coming. Uh, they're not asking those types of questions that they do on mortgage, for example, mortgage applications or real estate applications at the bottom. They're not running any type of uh, that, at least at this point or up until this point, demographics about where are you coming from or what are you doing? You're just a taxpayer. And if you're a foreign national taxpayer, we're going to withhold that money from you, no matter whether it's real estate or whether it's investment income or whatever. And then we just want you to come to the IRS and file tax returns. That's all that they want them to do. And they'll give them back all their money. They'll give them back all their money, but they're going to have to do it in such a way that not to make mistakes. But I'm going to tell you this about the IRS. You make mistakes. You go to these little places that make mistakes. They don't give you back your, your, your refund, even if you're a United States citizen. You've got to fix it all. Every I has got That's to right. be dotted. Every T has got to be crossed. Everything's going to be has to be done exactly right. This is the Internal Revenue Service. So I often tell people it's not like dealing with a local real estate agency or a, or, or a small somebody who, who fudges a little bit. I mean, they've got agents, they train them, everything systems, they compare everything. So yeah, if you've got a little mistake, oops, it wasn't an I, it was an L, they're going to kick that back to you because they want to make sure that everything's perfect. So it's just the same way. It, that's the way the Internal Revenue Service is. What would you say is the best advice? Um, let, let, let's start with the real estate broker. Give them your best advice um, in general of entering that profession. And then I also, what is, um, what is your take on uh, the future related to FERPTA? Those two, two points, sir. Well, look. You know, having been, you know, by way of disclosure, and it's, it's um, having been the owner of a very successful uh, a real estate company, residential and commercial, you know, not just hundreds of millions of dollars. One of the hardest things that realtors do is prospect. And they're out there looking for clients and they're out there both looking for uh, listings and they're out there looking for buyers. And you have the, the principal brokers and the managers who are required to educate these people. So you have ongoing in-house training and you have training from the, the associations and whatever. So if you're in a specific market, let's say like an Asian A-R-R-E-A, -R -R -E which is a very powerful, great people, by the way, all of them, uh, met, I've met them all uh, at the top. Uh, 
you know, and you're dealing with Asian real estate uh, and, and, you know, you need to be an expert in, in FERPTA because FERPTA is going to come into play in every single real estate transaction of a foreign national. And you can actually win uh, clients over who have dealt with somebody who was not up to par. They don't want to have any more surprises. You're going after a foreign national. It's been my experience that realtors uh, who just let these people know that, that, that they're expert in that area have won significant listings because in a lot of cases, the foreign nationals own substantial properties. You know, we're not talking $30,000 or a, a timeshare. Um, and so being knowledgeable about FERPTA, you know, you do so much prospecting, uh, be knowledgeable about it. If you want to equate that to an attorney, it's, you know, what goes into, what, what are the features of a contract? Be knowledgeable about that handful of, you know, that nine or whatever features that go into a written contract. Make sure that you know that they're supposed to, you know, do this or that or the other. So um, it's very uh, easy to lose business and to get your name trashed. It's very hard. You know, good news travels slowly, bad news travels quickly. So that's the case. The other thing is, is it is the responsibility of the uh, principal brokers to make sure that their agents and broker associates who are dealing with foreign national sellers, okay? So you have a very small uh, uh, niche that they learn about this topic. And, and there should be a specialist in every office. Now, they're unable to do that. They're unwilling to do that or whatever the case may be. So what they do is they go to a person like yourself with your title agency and they have a foreign national and they say, Justin, I'm bringing a foreign national to you. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Tell me, lead me. And so they're very often the closing agent, they're responsible. So as a closing agent, rather than fill those forms out improperly, which is a huge percentage of cases that are not uh, done with a professional, I'm getting them all the time. I get them every week. They don't know how to write, you know, uh, the address of the property, residence. Uh, they put the title company in instead of the, the, the buyer. They uh, put uh, uh, app applying for in, in a case. They don't put a, a U.S. There's so many little tiny easy mistakes that they make. And so rather than pay somebody a few hundred, several hundred dollars to do this properly, like you would an inspector. It's like sending a, it's like inspecting the property yourself. What title agent is going to go and inspect the property and, and allow somebody to enter into it and close a transaction, taking their advice as an inspector, if they're not an inspector or an appraiser or anything else like that. This is an area that the fees are small enough, uh, but the expertise, expertise is, is essential to uh, avoid uh, a crash. And, that crash, by the way, when it happens and it occurs very, very often, especially in these areas, is a long, painful crash that stimulates the unhappy foreign sellers screaming, kicking, and biting for months and months 
and months because when you mess up, it could take two years to straighten it out. So I say, ouch. yeah, it's an ouch scenario. And then in many cases, when the foreign sellers find a lawyer, which, you know, you got a lot of hungry lawyers out there. You got a lot of lawyers that will work on contingency. You got a lot of lawyers that are willing to take small cases on contingency. Oh, so yeah, I messed up. It's going to cost the foreign national $60,000. You know what? That 40% uh, contingency, $25,000 to that lawyer. And then that foreign national has a friend who at their dinner parties and, and they're, you know, with their wealthy friends or whatever that also may own. You're talking about you, I get 16, 20, 20, 25 cases. I, and, and now all of a sudden it's a, it's a half a million dollars worth of contingency. And they go after the title companies and they go after the realtors and the principal brokers. And then it becomes a problem for the uh, errors, uh, the ENO and, and insurance companies. So this is such a simple, you know, get your appraisal, get your inspection, get your FERPTA case handled, go to a real title agency like yours. Don't go to some hunky, you know, some uh, somebody who's who's going to do both those things for you. What do you what do you think the future looks like for FERPTA? FERPTA, if you think that if you think that the IRS is going to stop taxing capital gains on foreign nationals, that is, in my mind, never going to happen. <clears throat> the ground that they have given up, let's say with the PATH Act, to where pension funds don't have to pay FERPTA taxes, not a problem because in order to be a pension investing in the United States, you're already doing all that tax work. You're already uh, uh, reporting your, uh, your, your capital basis. I bought this then, I sold that then. Uh, you know, that they're doing it with uh, uh, banks and com commercial banks, they're, they're already reporting that their their earnings or whatever. FERPTA is never going to go away. FERPTA just got stronger in terms of a little bit more withholding. But the IRS did give a major concession that they had not done before that is a tremendous uh, benefit to foreign nationals, individuals from beginning to end. Tremendous. And they did that with that PATH Act. While they raised it to 15%, they also empowered a certain class of specialty IRS approved certified acceptance agents like myself. I'm proud to be one of those, that, that group. And so it used to be the IR, you, you were foreign national, you were selling something, you had to send your passport, your actual passport with your documentation to the IRS. And so now you have to wait for the IRS to respond and send you back your passport. We get certified passport documentation. Hold on one second. Um, let me, let me just reach behind me and, and, you know, we, we get, we get certified passport uh, documentation all the time from the Internal Revenue Service because you have to send a certified copy 
and then they will send it back. But sometimes it takes them for a long time. So in 2015 with the PATH Act, they empowered these CAAs. You know, you have to pass tests, you have to pass all kinds of things and be certified and stay updated and be on the website, the IRS gov. And um, now you're able to go, have that party, that foreign national go to their country, to the issuing agency of the passport or a, a US embassy, for example, and they will apostille, they will notarize and certify a foreign passport. Now you can, and we do Zoom interviews like this, and we do certain authentication by the rules. And then now this foreign national, they just have to send the certified passport. They get to hold their original passport. That's huge. So that's a big, huge benefit given five, six, uh, six, six, seven years ago to foreign nationals. Maybe the government in answer to your question will ease up on proving who you are in order to apply for the refund. But if you're asking in terms of the amount of money do you give them to secure that you're going to report the tax, I don't see that happening. Do you think the withholding amount goes up? <clears throat> this is this is now a personal opinion. Are you asking me for a personal opinion? Yes. My personal opinion is if you take the overall picture of today, I don't, I, I see, and, and we're in, in, in a time where we have inflation and I, and this is not political in any way. Um, and the open market money operations of the Federal Reserve Bank uh, are keeping interest rates very, very, very low. You know, you, you can get 2% mortgages and inflation is going up. What we're going to see is what we saw in the Reagan days is going to be that interest rates may have to slowly climb up to fight this massive inflation that's begun to roll around now that COVID is the pandemic in, in I don't want to say it's passing medically that I, but you know, financially, and we're coming back to life. So what we probably, if you're asking me, my professional opinion is going to see is slowly increasing rates over time, which means that real estate prices, which and bond prices, which move inverse to the marketplace. So if interest rates move up, real estate prices start to move down a bit. And so that inflationary trend that we look like we're heading into um, will make it so that a 15%, which was created in 2015 when the inflationary process was on a reversing trend and much higher real estate profits were being made and it was implemented during that time, in my mind likely may not culminate in anything uh, material. If you're asking me, will they reduce from 15% to 10%? If you look historically of tax rates, you see that yes, you know, there've been lower rates and higher rates, but I'm, uh, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't bank on it. Hmm. So you think just kind of more so we stay where we're at until the time 
kind of we figure this out almost of 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 I don't want to I'm with you I don't want to say a post pandemic world but um, as financially people start getting back to the normal ebbs and flows, right? Because there's a lot of money being withheld by companies right now. They're not doing a bunch of their major projects because of the risk factor of spending that capital reserve they have. So what that will look like when we come out of this, um, I think will affect it. So um, I guess, I guess the, the short answer is it's anybody's guess. Is that right? Well, look, you're, you know, you're on the cutting edge of, uh, of, your area of business and, and obviously extremely knowledgeable. And so I would have to tend to agree with you in general, but um, foreign sellers, they are investors and investors are well aware of the 1031 uh, exchange uh, uh, statutes. And when you're an investor in a 1031 exchange uh, st- uh, situation, which we haven't discussed, uh, it means that whatever it is you've got as your basis in a property, as long as it's handled by a qualified intermediary and you never touch the money, if because you have buy side, sell side. So if you're going to be buying a property and getting money, as long as that money goes to a qualified intermediary and you never touch it, or if you're going to sell first and then go out and buy or buy first and sell first and you never touch the property deed or whatever. As long as you comply with those 1031 uh, rules and you identify and you close on a property, you're not going to pay for the withholding. You're gonna roll everything over. So in actuality, in a 1031 exchange situation, uh, that FERPTA is going to be retained by the qualified intermediary. If you're going to be the attorney or the qualified intermediary gives you the money to hold in your escrow, you're going to hold it in your escrow. If that deal falls out of being qualified at that point, you're going to now have to remit that to the IRS within 20 days. You just opened the door to 1031. So let me ask you, and and you can give me your personal opinion on it. Do you think the 1031 uh, provision goes away? Like the, like the potential conversation is, is moving toward, do you think? Yeah. First of all, I'm not a CPA. I have been a tax matters partner uh, for billions of dollars for transactions. I was the uh, tax sheltered real estate product manager for Merrill Lynch. I have transacted billions of dollars of commercial uh, lending and and commercial properties and 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 packaging and and uh, syndications and i'm a testifying expert in mortgage-backed securities the purchases of bundles of mortgages the purchases of bundles of properties so i do have some qualifications now you're asking me if wash rules or tax tax-based benefits for rolling over, it would have to apply to 1031s, IRAs, KEOs, retirement plans. I believe generally speaking, the, the government, the US Treasury says, look, as long as you're not taking cash from that out and you're rolling those assets over without taking cash money out, we're going to let you do that. We will collect our capital gains taxes because that's what you're rolling over, right? You're rolling over your long-term capital gains. But when you're collecting rents and you're having, you're paying taxes along the way. 
When you increase, you know, I sold a property for a million. Now I'm going to get another property for a million and a half because I made a property. Now you're collecting rents on a million and a half. You're going to still pay those capital gains. You're just not going to pay them today. But you're going to pay taxes on the increased revenues that you're generating from the increased uh, basis of your investments. And the same holds true for KEOs and IRAs and investment program and pension funds and all these people. So they're saying, look, we won't take the capital gains taxes now. We want you to roll these things over. We want you to make more money. We want you, if it's deferred, okay, we'll collect it then. Or if it's now, we'll collect it now. Because by doing so, they're just increasing their pie and their share of the pie. So I believe those things are not going to, you know, the the powers that be that run the, the Federal Reserve chairman and the heads of treasury and these uh, great brains that rely on the, uh, the CEOs and the CFOs of Goldman Sachs and the investment companies, et cetera, Morgan Stanley, you know, to be fair to mention others, they understand open market processes and they, they understand how to increase the tax revenue. That's where it kind of gets a little bit into partisan politics on the form that they do it. So, um, it, it, you know, uh, you know wh whether whether you're and and so I don't want to really go over there. Be you know, in terms of um, a higher tax or what we're doing now, but in terms of the what we're talking about, I don't think that they're going to uh, abolish the uh, benefits of of rolling over whether it's FERPTA yeah, or, or whatever i don't think they're going to abolish it because they're 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 increasing their revenue from the bigger kitty yeah no that's fair no i and i appreciate your time i i think that there's so much here that that if you're willing we're gonna have to do a check-in with each other here in the next little bit um just to kind of go a little bit deeper because i i think that there's a lot of room for a lot of education and uh, particularly on ferpta um and hey if there's somebody you know that let's get them on to talk about 1031s and and how that can apply and when we're talking about iras and we're talking about investment funds because a lot of real estate it are investment funds right that's a lot of the capital that's moving around within real estate so um richard if i appreciate your time again i hope that you'd be willing to come back um erptarefunds.com that's the website to go to um to check out all of the great information that you have put out there for people and help simplify this as much as possible because unfortunately it's pretty complicated unless you've got an expert like richard who can break it down so richard um last and parting thoughts for for people for today's episode you know, it's like anything else. You don't have to be an expert in roofing and you don't have to be an expert in uh, sinkholes and you don't have to be an expert in appraisals. If you're gonna be a foreign national or involve a foreign national in a transaction, go to a title company who understands foreign nationals. And if the title company you know, just get yourself an expert, get some expert device. Don't buy a house without getting an inspection. Don't get a mortgage without getting an appraisal.
And don't close a foreign national seller real estate transaction without getting the services of a FERPTA professional. That said, it's a niche because it's not really a whole lot of profit in there. So a lot of accountants don't want to mess with it. It's too complicated and the money's just not great. But if you have a company that specializes in it and you're able to go there, go there. Well, well, Richard, we're going to send them your way for as long as you're willing. So I hope that's okay. And I don't take responsibility if any crazies call you that claim they saw this. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna chalk that up to uh, SEO and Google on that one. But I appreciate your time. Yes, yeah, yes, sir. I, I get, I don't know, four, five, six uh, inquiries a day from, I don't know where they come from. So somebody's out there, you know, people are, are out there and a lot of people, what they are trying to do is, and I, and I, I really know the countries, they even, it's sort of, I don't want to mention it because it, but you could, they call up, they want to milk you, get all the information they can, and then they want to do it themselves. And then they come back six or eight months later on how what a mess there is in their life that they finally want to pay. And now it's a difficult case resolution and it costs a lot more money in upfront cash and contingencies to fix that problem. But there are people and what they're trying to do is not, they're just trying to learn how it is you paint your car. How do you sand it? What paint do you buy? And then they're going to go try and paint their car. The problem is when it rains and they're driving their car and the paint starts peeling off or whatever, and they need help. Well, of course, it's more, you know, that's the way it is. Justin Kazepis, todaysrealtalk.com, ferptarefunds.com. Thank you so much, Richard, for your time. We really appreciate it and hope to see you again soon. Justin, thank you so much. I have to say that uh, you you deserve a lot of respect and recognition for identifying such a critical and important subject to so many hundreds of thousands of foreign nationals and the realtors that interact, buy and sell, and the buyers themselves each year in the United States. So I uh, applaud you and your efforts. and. Uh, for that reason, uh, you can count on me to step up and uh, answer your call if and when it comes again. I appreciate the opportunity to Thank serve. You, sir. Thank you, sir. All right.